Hey everyone, welcome to the Product Startup Podcast, a podcast that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product designers, and other industry professionals. This podcast is run by Macro Design and Invent and hosted by Philip Belecha. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to putting your product on the shelf. We're taking you step-by-step step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Now onto the show. We've seen you know, how this design can change and help improve people's lives. And, and I always try to keep that first and foremost in my mind because that's really why we're doing this. It's not because we need you know, an office space that fits our staff. It's about the, the product and, and what we think it can do and what it can be and how it can help change folks' lives. The Product Startup Podcast, Episode 18. Welcome to the Product Startup Podcast, helping you turn ideas into successful products step-by-step with your host, Philip Valitza. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Product Startup Podcast. I want to apologize a little for sounding like Skeletor this week. I lost my voice last week, and I'm still recovering from that. So fortunately, all of our guest interviews are pre-recorded. In the last episode, we talked with Damian Lee of Mr. Lee's Noodles for a truly inspirational episode. He served in the Australian Special Forces. He was a city headhunter and is a single dad of two and stage four cancer survivor. Uh, We talked about how he created his own healthy gluten-free pot noodle and started selling it to universities through custom-designed high-tech noodle kiosks. So check out episode 17 if you want to hear more about Damian. Recently, the Product Startup Podcast broke through the top 200 in the iTunes business management and marketing category, coming in at number 189. This is huge. It shows me that a lot of people are interested in physical products and the people who build businesses around them. So thank you, everyone listening, and those of you who've shared the show with your friends for helping to make that possible. So now on to the episode. Today, I'm joined by Jennifer Harris with Motivo. Jennifer and her design partner, Jeremy, reinvented the walker for an aging generation. In addition to creating this recently patented product, they're also running the business and bringing their very first Motivo tour off the production line this month. She talks to us about her journey of problem identification and why updating a decades-old unchanged design was no easy task. So let's get started. Hi, Jennifer. Thanks for coming on the show today. Hi, Philip. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, please just tell us how you got involved with Motivo and how it got started. Uh, Well, Motivo is a company that I co-founded with um, a colleague of mine. We were working as designers for a large multi-billion dollar company, developing products for them um, and new businesses. And the two of us got together a few years into um, the time that we were working there and and just had a casual conversation, a, a what if, and and we both we both had a passion for potentially going out on our own and and developing products ourselves. We mm-hmm. had been in in the industry for um, each of us probably about twenty years at that at that point, developing products, and thought that there's no great time to venture out on your own. And so we decided that that was we were just going to make the leap and. We felt that uh, we had enough professional experience, we had a broad enough network um, that we we wanted to go out and see if we could make it on our own. And uh, so that's what we did. And Motivo um, was the name of the company that we, we developed, but first we needed to figure out what we wanted to do. Uh, right. We 
had been developing all sorts of products um, for many, many different industries over our careers. And uh, we got together and created a list. We, we had probably had hundreds of things on our list of areas that we could explore. And, and some of the key criteria for us were things that, of course, we were very passionate about, things that we felt that our skills and competencies could, could most benefit in terms of innovation. And uh, as we as we talked, both of us had experience with our family members needing to use mobility devices. Uh, my mom had just recently broken her ankle, and mm-hmm. my grandparents had to use uh, mobility devices. Uh, Jeremy's father had ALS and needed to use one, as well as his grandmother and his father-in-law. And as designers, um, you you come across certain products that. When you see them in use and you experience some of the pitfalls of them, you just can't help but want to do something and want to change them. And for us, uh, that that mobility space was something that we found was was uh, something we shared and were very passionate about, and thought we could we could really help to uh, change people's lives uh, if we could develop something better. Which I think we we both agreed we thought we could, uh, and so we narrowed our scope then down to to that specific. Uh, line of products, but at the same time, we had to co- had to consider, you know, the a bu- the business side of things. Um, you know, if we are starting our own company, you know, we need to find something in a space that that we felt you know would would be of interest to folks. And um, since the the uh, boomer generation is is a, a very large segment of our population, uh, and uh, retirees are. Um, by the tens of thousands, uh, turning 65 every every day, and we we felt that then this was probably an area that that would work from a business perspective as well. So it wasn't just passion; we had to have the practicality side of things as well. Yeah, so that's very interesting. You actually, you said a lot there that I might just take a couple steps back and, and touch on. You said that you were a designer working on products before. Uh, were you an industrial designer? Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, so I, I am an industrial designer. I also have um, a degree in jewelry and metalsmithing, and um, I've been teaching design. I have uh, worked in everything from uh, soft goods, so things for your laptops and your mobile phones, all mm-hmm. the way to cleaning products, so a, a diverse range. Very cool. That's exciting. So you must see all sorts of equipment. You worked on anything from consumer products to industrial type stuff, or just uh, did you focus okay. on anything in, in specific? Primarily consumer products, um, not as much in the, the mm-hmm. industrial, but primarily consumer products, um, things that were designed for users based on their, their needs. Perfect. So this is basically right up your alley then to start up a new company based on your experience. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, and I mean, that's that's why <laughs> that's very much why we why we did this is that, that you know, a, a design process where you start with the user, you understand um, what their needs are, you involve them in the process of of the design development. It's what what Jeremy and I have been doing for our whole careers, and and knew that that if we applied that that knowledge and um, to this this product, that we should have something successful. Yeah, so that makes it almost a perfect recipe for success. When you were looking to design this product specifically, can you talk about maybe some of the ideas that didn't work out or some some markets that you thought that you weren't suited for, or at least kind of explain your thought process behind choosing this one versus maybe some of the others? Mm-hmm. Well, the the walker, um, as most most of, of us, when we think of a walker, we think of gray bent tubes with tennis balls at the bottom. And that's become 
somewhat of a an icon, if you will, for old age, and it's very stigmatizing. And um, it, it, the device itself was developed um, probably now over 80 years ago, 70 to 80 years ago, and it was de designed primarily as a utilitarian object. So it was designed to just basically help people get around in the hospital. And slowly it worked its way out of the hospital. Um, and the space hadn't seen much innovation over the years. And, and one of the primary factors contributing to that is that uh, manufacturers weren't necessarily uh, motivated to innovate. Uh, right. They were motivated to cost reduce. And so as, as two designers who um, love innovation and love thinking, you know, outside of kind of the norm, it, for us, it, it was an exciting space to work in because there's very few consumer product um, categories that you can go into that hasn't seen much innovation in 70 plus years. And so that that for us was also a motivating factor. Besides our passion for you know helping people um, you know with a better product, it was also the exciting factor of you know of a space that hasn't seen innovation in a long, long time. And and that's what we love to do. So so those those are many of the contributing factors to why we, we why we picked uh, mobility and specifically starting with the walker because it is so iconic. You know, that's really great that you shared that. My wife is a physical therapist and works with the geriatric population actually for some of the same problems that they have after surgeries and things like that where they need to relearn how to walk. And so a lot of her patients will have walkers and things like that. And I picked up on that, that it basically the design hasn't really changed in a long time. I just assumed that that's the result of driving costs as low as they, they can, especially now in this day and age of Medicare and things like that. So... That's, I guess, good on you to see that problem. Why did you think that it was something that you could solve or that people would buy the finished product? I'm assuming that it's, that it's going to be more expensive than what's on the market today. So, And that's usually a really hard, I guess, an internal debate that you might have to say, well, why will people pay more for my product? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, well, as I, as I mentioned before, we, we started with the user, and we spent probably 300 to 400 hours with consumers, um, starting with very, very low fidelity prototypes that we would take in and get feedback on. And over time, we worked with them to develop essentially the recipe for what this product um, would be, the, the features, the benefits. Uh, and so it, it wasn't as if uh, my co-founder, Jeremy Canopo, and I went, you know, went into a a workshop and just develop this independent of any any feedback. We mm -hmm. applied that user centered design and and worked with users to develop something that they needed. And the the prior walkers, um, as I as I mentioned, were were essentially just to help people, you know, get around in the hospital. You know, they didn't factor in uh, lifestyle daily needs. And when we were working with folks. Um, you know, what, what Jeremy and I had seen with our relatives uh, when they used these walkers, we was, you know, reconfirmed and when we started working with other folks um, in this design development process. And so, so your question is to, you know, what, what gives us confidence that folks will be interested or want to purchase or, or buy these products? Um, it, it really comes down to, you know, we are developing what they asked us for. Mm -hmm. um, it, 
weren't just developing it for ourselves, we were developing it with them for them. And so, um, you know, at price point, you know, sure, our, our product is going to be you know, more expensive than the, the bent aluminum tubes, but we have uh, a number of benefits and value-added features. Um, probably our, our primary one is an ergonomic benefit uh, where um, there are walkers that have seats and often the seat gets in the way of people's strides. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so they end up hunched over and behind the walker as they're using it. And you've probably seen folks out and about who, who are kind of leaning over trying to walk with, with their walker. And unfortunately, it's inherent in the design that, that they can't walk upright, even though they should. It's better for their posture. It's better for their health. Um, and so one of the benefits of the Motivo Tour is that Folks are able to walk inside the tour, which then means that they can walk upright. And we do that by having a seat that stows away to the side. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's one of one of the key benefits. Um, and we we had one one woman who we worked with um, with an early prototype who um, told us because she was able to walk upright, she was able to walk further on her block than she'd ever walked in four years since she started using a walker. And that's awesome. And those are yeah, and those are those are the very powerful moments when you know right. you're onto something. Um, and so even beyond beyond that feature, because they can stand inside of it, they can rotate the tour very closely around them. It has a very tight turning radius, mm -hmm. um, which becomes important when you're in a bathroom or you're in a smaller space that that maybe wasn't designed to accommodate walkers. Um, and but those are the the experiences that people have in their everyday lives. Um, we also have a cup holder and tray, and this was something I saw with my mom, you know, where, where she, she was trying to just get from the kitchen to the living room and I had to help carry her dinner or her, her glass, um, glass of water because there was no way that she could hold on to the walker and stay stable mm -hmm. while she was moving from one room in her house to the other. And those are such simple things, but, but they're so impactful, um, uh, when, when you have to use one of these, um, you know, just to, just to get around. Um, so we've, we've developed that into this walker. And so these are kind of the value add items that, that, um, you know, you know, our price point, you know, maybe is higher than some of those, some of the other walkers, but, you know, it's hard to put, put, um, you know, a price on, on being able to live independently. Uh, and that's what we're, we're trying to help folks uh, be able to do. Um, and beyond that too, at, um, at motivolife.com, our website, you can see images of the tour and it, uh, it, it is a disruption from what, what, you know, as the bent metal tube walker. And that was very intentional because what we saw with, with folks was that, they didn't want to use a walker because it was very stigmatizing. It it, um, it communicated to others that they perhaps were old or disabled. Sure. And you know, many of us. I mean, it, many of us will have to use one of these someday, and that's absolutely the opposite of what you want to communicate to folks. So we intentionally disrupted that that vernacular of what a walker stands for, and uh, created a design that's sleek, contemporary looks nothing like a walker, is more of a, a, um, a vehicle for getting around. Uh, and uh, it comes in a number of colors that are um, high gloss and uh, um, it's, a, it's a material similar to what you might find on an automobile. So it's not, not a bent metal tube. <laughs> and folks can also customize it. We offer graphics um, that are... Um, removable and reusable. We also have 
sports teams and uh, everything from your college to NFL to uh, Major League Baseball. So if you're a sports fan, you can also um, support your team. And and these are the things that 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 our our folks, when we talk to them, were were extremely excited about because it it gave them the opportunity to personalize uh, something, make it their own, you know, similar to the cell phone model where everybody has a, has a, their own case with uh, their own unique style to it. And, and that doesn't change just, just because you need something to get around. We all, we all desire those, that, that kind of, um, that ability to individualize the things around us and make them reflect who, who we are. Wow. So I was going to re- respond to some of that, but <laughs> I think we've covered a lot of ground. I definitely want to talk a little bit about the design process. Um, mm-hmm. You said that you were working with a focus group or basically a group of people that you've put together to get feedback on your design. How did you find them? How did you initially approach them? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, when when you're starting out as a new company, uh, <laughs> You, we, we went to different retirement homes. We um, contacted some local home medical equipment dealers and asked if they could put us in touch with um, individuals that they knew who used walkers. And we reached out to them and asked them if they would be interested in, in talking with us about uh, their current walker and if they were open to us talking to them about some ideas about a new walker. Mm-hmm. And 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 fortunately, most most people are are interested and willing to do that sort of thing because they, uh, I think, when with the Walker space too, um, you know, they they saw that there could be improvement in in the product that they were using, and so so it's it was basically making phone calls and and seeing who who would be willing or open open to talk to us, and and you know, we also did um, we have a a company that we had worked with in some of our prior corporate work. Um, that we had a contact and they also helped us to find some folks who, who we could talk to who use these types of products and also uh, individuals who cared for or helped mm-hmm. care for folks who had to use a walker. Yeah, so it was basically just a ground-up effort uh, to look for people yourselves and that way you were making these one-on-one uh, connections personally. Yeah. And, and did you have to incentivize anybody to be a participant in the group or were they just that enamored by the that fact that someone was looking at a new solution that they were happy to work with anybody just to to solve the problem um we did we did a little bit of both based on the situation uh sometimes um oftentimes we felt like it was appropriate to incentivize them in some way simply because we were asking for their time and we felt that that was the right thing to do sure yeah that's and that's i think the hardest part is that people just don't have time to give you that feedback whenever you're coming up with new designs and trying to get people to to sit down and and share their experiences and especially if you're going back to them over and over with a decision i'm not sure how that worked for you guys did you for example if you were considering the the shape of something or how something functioned did you go back to your focus group if you had more than one decision to make to say hey what would you guys prefer or was it a, a very much gated design type process where you come out with a concept and you get feedback and then you refine it and you go back to the group after you refined it uh, we, we went back to folks and I think because we were we were um, you know trying to to develop something based on individual feedback we we would create something take it in and show them and then uh, once we got feedback then we would revise it edit it you know it's, it's kind of like a rough draft of, of a of an essay mm-hmm. um, 
applied to a, a product where where we kept reworking it and we would go back we would get their their thoughts on on updates and 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 many of them were, were quite pleased with the with the progress because they would see something that they had provided feedback on be changed or modified and uh, they were very pleased to see that that change being made to to help accommodate some of their needs neat no that's that must be a pretty good feeling especially if you like I said, if you have the the pain point in mind and you're not seeing any solutions on the market, and here's one person that's willing to listen to you and and you know, take your advice, that sounds really yeah. exciting. Uh, so, while you were working with with everybody here, did you were you at all worried that someone was going to take the idea and run with it faster than you could? <laughs> uh, well, I, I suppose that's always always an underlying fear. Um, you know, we. We filed all of our provisional patents, and we were um, very due diligent about getting confidentiality agreements in place with anyone that that we talked to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and and these these are processes that we had done many times before. So that wasn't new to us. So we knew we knew what we needed to do um, to make sure that we were protecting our idea. But you know, that's always that's always a little bit of the fear when you're, you're innovating and trying to come up with something completely new is that someone, someone will beat you to it. And, uh, Jeremy and I would, uh, every year we'd go to some of the conferences, um, that the home medical equipment industry would have just to kind of get it, keep our finger on the pulse of what was happening, right. look, look for any new innovation. Um, and so we made sure that we did our own due diligence within, within the, the category as well to see what, what's going on and making sure that we were, we were covering what we needed to. I really love trade shows for that too, because you can get such a feel for the market just by visiting one or two shows. And even if you're not putting up a booth or anything like that, you can meet so many interesting people and manufacturers and vendors. It's probably the hands down, the, I think the best use of your time for the one or two days if you're really looking to connect with a bunch of people in your industry. Yeah, I would agree. And, and that was something that we did, we did early on too, even before we, we started Motivo is we went to the, to these trade shows because we, we needed to understand the industry. Um, you know, we had seen our parents and relatives use these products, but we weren't as intimate with the industry as, as we, we needed to be. So we needed to educate ourselves on that. Um, and so we went to the trade shows and, and I completely agree, Philip, it's, it is one of the, um, important ways to immerse yourself in what it is you're about to do and to see, you know, who the key players are and who, who, who is innovating, who isn't innovating, where's the shift, what are the trends in the industry? Um, and for us in, in the home, home medical equipment, uh, space, you know, we, we felt that. A, a consumer product approach to developing and designing these products um, that this industry was was ready for that they were they were they were in many ways asking for it in a way that they they hadn't before and and a lot of that has come from um, changes in the healthcare industry and Medicare and so for us it, it 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 felt a little bit like the right place at the right time where we had seen with our parents the the uh, challenges that they face, but then we were able to also see some of the challenges in the industry mm-hmm. and how we would be able to bridge uh, both of those with the the innovation that that we had in mind. So let's kind of summarize what you've done so far. Then you've had an idea, you've created a design along with the help of some of the focus group that you've put together. You have a provisional patent application, 
and now maybe you're looking to start manufacturing. Can you say maybe how long it took to get from that the beginning to this point? So we started probably about four years ago, and uh, we we did get our patent granted. So we do now have have a patent. We also have um, uh, we have design patents, utility patents, we have international patents, and so we've created a whole whole portfolio to help protect the idea both both in the U.S. and internationally. Um, and we're we're probably about a month out from from starting to ship product. So we are in in manufacturing right now and uh, looking to have product available here within about a month or so. Wow. So, and you mentioned that you have some international patents. That's probably something that most people haven't looked into just because of the, the cost. Did you have some funds or did you raise capital before starting this company or was this something that both of you just approached with whatever savings that you had? Um, yeah. So we, we do have um, a number of investors and there are, We've we've kept it to private investors at this point, mm -hmm. and you know we've been able to uh, find a great group of folks who the, uh, who in and of themselves have expertise to offer. So as we were looking for investors, we were also looking for individuals who who perhaps could offer some um, expertise in in a space that that we didn't necessarily have ourselves. And so we 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 did raise capital. We have a great group of folks. Uh, we also um, received some loans, both from the state and uh, we're in Wisconsin and uh, Milwaukee, which is the area that we're located in. Mm -hmm. um, there are some some good good programs here to help support innovation, and so we were also able to get some some funding through that as well. That's great for sharing that because I think people get hung up on how it's really hard to get funding for projects like this that are considered maybe startup companies, especially if you don't have a product yet and you might not have an audience yet. Can you elaborate a little bit on, on how you're able to pitch to investors or to sell them on the, on the idea, on the dream? Mm -hmm. um, well, that was when, when Jeremy and I were, were, um, were working at, at, uh, at our prior company, that was what we were tasked to do is essentially put together a skeletal business plan and pitch it into the company. Um, and so we took that uh, basic framework and, and applied it here as well. And, uh, you know, we, we were talking about innovating in a space where there hasn't been much innovation. And I, yeah, I think it was, it's, it's, it's not a hard pitch in terms of, you know, difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing's been happening for 70 years. We want to make something happen in a space where um, the demographic is increasing exponentially. And so I, I think, you know, those those things kind of coming together were have been have been our, kind of our keys to, to raising funds uh, for the company. Great advice for people that are looking to, to do this on their own. Where, where did you happen to find the investors? I know you said that you were looking for particular expertise. Did you basically look for the people that had the skill set or the contacts or the experience that you were looking for and then just pitch them the idea? Um, yes, 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 to some degree. I mean, we, we started off, um, you know, when we first started, we, we, as you mentioned, I mean, we had an idea on paper. And so, you know, we started with probably closer friends and family. And then as the, um, as the idea developed, uh, we broadened our kind of investor pool as, as we had more to share, more to show for, for our progress. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, sometimes it, it was friends of, of friends and, um, you know, we've, we've kind of, 
just through networking, have been able to find folks um, who who are very interested and passionate about what we do. And um, you know, it's it's been it's been it's been a good process. It doesn't mean it's always easy, but uh, but it's definitely been been something where we we've, we've tapped into the network, tapped into essentially networking and and, and getting folks um, to to become part of the Motivo team. Well, and imagine your past experiences helped a lot with that because they could see what your track record was. And so it wasn't just a blind bet. This was basically a bet based on your, you know, your qualifications as well. Yeah. And, and, and that's what you know, many investors are looking for is, is that they're, they're looking for the people because it's the people that early on they're investing in when it's more the idea in the idea phase, mm-hmm. um, the actual product or business itself. When, when that's very young, uh, what they're what they're betting against are are the people and and their track record and what they've been able to accomplish previously and and they're essentially betting on on the fact that they will they will deliver again with with this with their idea or or business. Yeah. So essentially, you just did like a private Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I suppose you could you could you could define it with with a lot more money. <laughs> <laughs> so congratulations on that. Were you already seeking out manufacturers when you were looking for investment? Or can you kind of say when, when that was relative to when other things were going on with the design or manufacturing? Yeah, so so very early on in the design process, because we knew we didn't want to get to a point where we had a design flushed out and um, not have a way to manufacture it. So very early on, we were we were talking with manufacturers and um, potential partners in the development of of components and um, different features of, of the product because we knew that their input early on would only lead to a more successful design later on and, and help save us money, save us time if we could get that input uh, right up front. And and we've been we've been very fortunate. We've gotten some great great partnerships in in our manufacturers uh, both of uh, the the main product as well as components. So that's a great tip too, is sometimes you finish working on your design or you get something that looks perfect and you start to go out for bids for manufacturing and you realize it's going to cost way more to manufacture than you expected just because you were a little bit unrealistic with the design. Sure. So it's good good to keep that pulse. Mm-hmm. Well, and some manufacturers are better at innovation as well. Mm-hmm. You know, some some are very good at here's exactly what I would like you to make, um, and then others are also very good at this is the idea we have on paper. How can you help us um, improve the design so that they were very much a part of the process, just as the users were um, as we as we developed the design to make sure that that it could be manufacturable and um, and you know and take advantage of any any um, technologies that they had that maybe mm-hmm. we weren't aware of. And, and so that, that was key to, to the development of, of the product itself. Yeah, absolutely, because each manufacturer is different and they've got different skill sets with different equipment, ways of evaluating projects. And so it's, it's always interesting to go out for bid for a particular design and see the prices come back. And sometimes the spread is two, 300% just because of the different qualifications. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, can you talk a little bit about your strategy for sourcing some of the parts? Uh, were you initially looking to have this uh, produced domestically? Or, for example, I know in a lot of businesses I worked in, there's a huge drive to have things produced in the States, but then the market won't bear the cost of that. Did you have similar conversations internally? And 
Can you maybe talk a little bit about how that worked out? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, well, fortunately the, the manufacturing process that, um, that we kind of landed on for the design, the area here in the U S that, that we, uh, we have our businesses is, um, is, Kind of the hotbed of, of that type of, of process, um, and so we we were able to find folks close to home that we could partner with um, that could successfully create the product. And um, you know, we we talked about you know going overseas, um, but because we are a you know a young company just getting started, and we wanted to build a quality product that we knew reflected what it was that we wanted in our design. We thought it was very important for us to be able to visit the manufacturer as often as needed, uh-huh. um, be on site for, you know, builds of prototypes, build pilot runs. Um, and that was probably something that wasn't going to be extraordinarily feasible um, if we were having to travel overseas. Um, so the fact that the manufacturing process is is rooted in this in this region and uh, and we 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 knew it was important for the the development and quality of our product to be um, able to be part of that process of of developing this into a fully manufactured product. Um, we you know we very very specifically made the choice to to stay here in the States and, and develop, develop the product. And, you know, and also for our users, um, the fact that the product is made in the USA, which, um, most, if not almost all of the, the current walkers that are out there are made overseas. And so right. that, that for us is a, is a unique point of difference as well. And, and for, you know, the, the older generation that, that, that uses these, that becomes very important to them. It's something that they look for in products too. I'm glad that you touched on that last part because it that definitely depends on what your uh, target market values. I think uh, when you were talking to your focus group, and I keep using that term, what what did you call your testers? Um, well, we we did do some focus groups, um, but for us, we um, we I, I guess we would call them users uh, that we we went to their homes, we mm-hmm. went to where they live, where they reside, because to kind of bring them together into a kind of artificial scenario and try to observe the challenges that they have mm-hmm. in their everyday lives. That, that wasn't for us going to be the most fruitful scenario to, to understand what their needs are because sometimes they can tell they can articulate a need and sometimes yeah, it's something that has to be observed. So we, we specifically went to their home where they use their walker, you know, followed them around. If they walked outside, we went outside with them. If they, you know, if they went um, to the grocery store, we would, we would take a trip with them um, because that, that was for us how we got, uh, got the most information um, possible. So um, what we call them typically not, not necessarily a focus group, but um, we just call them users and, and folks that, that use the product and, and uh, that's, that's who we, how, who we talk to. So when you talk to your users, did you lead in with any type of price estimates or cost estimates at all? Or was the entire conversation about function and did they give you any feedback on, on their expectations about where, you know, what their buying abilities were or anything to help you make a decision? Yeah. I, I mean, sometimes, you know, we, we did talk, we did talk about price. Um, um, sometimes though, that's a difficult question to, 
to get to until you have a finished product that they sure. can um, use and experience. Um, but uh, for the types of features and benefits that we were offering, folks certainly understood that that they would likely cost more and that they were they were willing to pay more for those features, just like you would, you know, with any product where you're getting added benefits and features. So, sure. But but for most of our interviews and and research work that we do, the the real focus is on the product and developing the the best product possible, uh, as opposed to you know the price point. Um, you know, that that's not something that that you disregard. But uh, oftentimes, if if you can deliver the need, the 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 price there is is one that is often you know seen as 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 you know, worth, worth it to get, get the, those needs satisfied that, that they do have or, or to overcome some of the challenges that they're having. Right. You're able to just position it as a premium product and set a, a high expectation for it from the beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now you're moving on to, you said manufacturing is going to wrap up pretty soon and you're going to start selling out of a warehouse that you just moved into. Can you talk a little bit about the process from maybe working out of what was a smaller office to now you've got a small business to run? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, the, the business itself, um, you know, didn't necessarily change. We, we changed venues and somewhat in preparation for the product. Um, and uh, we, we made a decision, uh, you know, early on that, that for us controlling the, the shipping experience um, and that customer service experience was was something that was important to to our product and to to the whole the whole experience with with Motivo and the tour. And so we just this past week moved to a a new location that did does have a shipping and distribution um, uh, facility so that we have the space to do that. Perfect. So when you talk about that you wanted to be in charge of shipping, do you do any other value-added function for the product itself? For example, I worked for some small businesses that would contract out manufacturing of various components and then do the assembly testing in-house. Um, do you do that or do you uh, does, is the assembly outsourced and you get the product and store it on a shelf and manage the orders? Mm-hmm. Well, we have we have a manufacturing partner who is is manufacturing the product. Um, our accessories are something that we, we develop in house. Um, we also do all of our um, quality testing. Uh, is something that that we do in house or or contract with somebody uh, to complete any of the things that that we aren't able to do in house. And so so we we are very much. Um, you know, trying to um, take on as as many things as we can internally, because then we know they're executed in the way that that we would want them to be. Um, you know, granted, there are some things we can't do because we don't we don't have the capacity or the facilities to do them. But sure. but where we can, um, those are things that we are we are trying to to make sure that that we are able to do. Um, and uh, you know, all in the interest of of having a quality product and a quality experience for our customers. Yeah, so that's very interesting that you say that because a lot of people will say, hey, you know what? My expertise isn't in blank. It's not in shipping product. It's not in customer service. My expertise is you know, designing new products or it's in uh, whatever that is. And I'm going to just focus on that and try to outsource the rest and leave the people that are really good at the other things to do those things. And so now you've kind of what it looks like is you've taken it this different tack to say that you want to own as much of the process from beginning to end as possible. That way you ensure a really quality product. Did you have to really sell that to other people? Um, 
I, I, I guess I wouldn't say that we had to sell it. I think that we are choiceful, you know, in evaluating what we what we believe we can do well ourselves, even if we aren't the experts. We're also very rigorous at, you know, I think when whenever you start a company, you, you often have to be a jack of all trades. And, right. you know, I, I do all kinds of things from from designing the product to the finances to, you know, taking out the trash. <laughs> Um, you know, and that those are just the things that you have to do when you're when you're um, in a newer company, a smaller growing company, and um, you have to you have to have perseverance, and you you have to be willing to learn things that maybe you don't know. Um, but we are choiceful in the things that we say. Okay, experts, this is something you should handle, and then and then other things where we we say, you know, the 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 ability to make sure it's done right is worth maybe, as you said, a little additional cost or, or it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's worth us taking the time to learn and become experts in so that we can do it right. Uh, and, you know, I think we, we, we just have to, we evaluate that as they come. Um, but like you said, I mean, with shipping, you know, especially early on, I mean, maybe we'll, we'll do something different in the future when we have more products and, um, more things to ship out. But, but for now, I think keeping it close to the vest is, is something for us that's important, uh, for us to, to do, to make sure that the experience is, is right. And, and because when you're a new company and new products, you kind of have one one chance at that first impression, and that has a value in and of itself. And so we want to make sure that we get that right from the start. Absolutely agree with a lot of that, especially with you know taking ownership for the customer and making sure that they have that good experience. Because uh, like you said, it just takes that one experience. And people tend to overemphasize on their negative experiences, especially when it comes to uh, online reviews and things. And so you have to be really careful about keeping everybody happy. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how many employees you have helping you do this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, currently we have um, we we have full time. We have about seven seven to nine employees, depending on on kind of the 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 work that needs to be done. And then we also do contract out uh, folks as well. Uh, so we we have a strong team that surrounds us uh, that fills in you know some of the maybe core competencies that our permanent folks don't have, but, but we certainly have a broad, um, broad pool of folks that we're, we're working with on a day-to-day basis, even if they're not, you know, on site or, you know, specifically a Motivo employee. Right. And that sounds pretty challenging because you're having to obviously wear different hats, but you're having to change gears. Like you said, one day you're focused on, uh, finances and the next day you might be looking at design. Um, how are you able to manage that? From a personal perspective, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I I have to be honest. It, it is a challenge every day um, to to kind of put on your many hats. But uh, I think you you have to prioritize what what's the most important thing for the business that day. And you know, some things you know don't get the maybe the attention they need that specific day. But but you you have to prioritize and, and address the things that, that are the most important. But, uh, but yeah, we're constantly wearing many hats. And, and I think that's, that's probably the case. If you talk to anyone who's starting a new business, that's just inherent to, to what it means to run your own business and start your own company. Yeah. You're always uh, understaffed until you're overstaffed, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so some of the people that I speak with will say, Hey, you know what? It, sounds really good to have the people on the podcast and they talk about 
their their journey from beginning to end, but it sounds like a straight line, and we know it's not a straight line. So can you talk a little bit about the times where it's just been a little bit more difficult, and you thought, man, I don't know if we're if if this is the right direction, or you know, there were you must have had some struggles along the way. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I when I first started this, I thought, you know, I don't understand why more people don't start their own businesses. And as you <laughs> as you get into it more, <laughs> you start to understand why not everyone starts their own businesses. But uh, but it, it, you know, if if you have a vision and you have perseverance, um, and that's pretty much what what I. I think what it boils down to what what you have to have to to make it work. Um, but I mean, every day there there are moments, you know, to be quite honest, where where you think, my goodness, you know, I couldn't have seen this coming from from a million miles away. But but you have to, you know, be nimble. You have to be able to readjust. And but that that's one of the the I guess um, pains and pleasures of of a new business is that. You know, you can very quickly make decisions. You can very quickly redirect um, when need be um, as things things come your way. Um, but you have to be prepared for that. And um, you know, we we had some some challenges early on with you know finding the right partner for our manufacturing and mm-hmm. you know, and just even finding a space that fits fits our needs. Um, you know, from an office perspective, it, it can be challenging. So. So, you know, it all depends on the day, but there are challenges pretty much every day, but, but you just have to, you know, keep plugging away. And, and as long as you kind of have that end vision in sight and, you know, we're reminded by our folks that we've worked with in developing this product, you know, we've seen you know, how this design can change and help improve people's lives. And, and I always try to keep that first and foremost in my mind, because that's really why we're doing this. It's not because we need you know, an office space that fit that fits our, our, you know, our staff. It's 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 about the the product and and what we think it can do and what it can be and how it can help help change folks' lives. So so that's that's what I always try to keep keep foremost in my mind. Some days it's challenging uh, to do that, but um, you know, but but we're we're continuing to plug away and and I think. You know, the, we'll hopefully one day kind of laugh at some of the, the experiences <laughs> that we've had <laughs> and challenges that we've been able to overcome. And, and um, you know, that's uh, but I, I think that's probably true of any any company or any business. I mean, everybody has challenges each and every day, no matter whether you're a, a, a business of one or you're a business of, of you know, hundreds of thousands, you know, there are, there are challenges and you just try to work through them and make the best decisions that you can. All very good advice. You know, and it sounds like maybe you, part of your skill set has helped you prepare for this type of challenge before. Do you feel like you've got some sort of unique superpower that maybe you're, well, and you know, I say that in jest, but I think everyone's got yeah. their, their one thing that has, that maybe they're better at than anybody else's. Do you feel like you have something like that? Um, hmm. That's, that's a good that's a good question folks um you know i think it's i think it's hmm. i think it's the 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 perspective that well, we can get through this we just have to figure out how and what's the best way forward and as opposed to just throwing in the towel and saying you know it this can't be overcome there's no way this is you know we're going to be able to do this um i think it's just being able to shift and and change and adapt um and trying to stay upbeat and and I, I I I try to laugh at things you know sometimes you think some things are just so ridiculous um that you just have to laugh and if I think if, I I find myself laughing maybe more than I should <laughs> sometimes but but I think if you if you can 
if you can stay upbeat and know that you know you know the end of the world isn't coming you you can get through this you know i think maybe maybe for me that that's what that's what i bring and that's why i've been able to you know keep keep at this and you know and and i i also think about others you know i'm i'm not just doing this for myself i'm doing this for you know all the people that we've worked with you know my family all of our investors and there's a lot of folks that that i want to see this through because it's not for me it's for them and that's that's mm-hmm. that's also what kind of keeps driving me to you know every day get up and and kind of work through anything anything that might be thrown our way yeah that's a really important quality to have and i think it's you know one of the most understated ones if you listen to uh, interviews by Elon Musk he'll you know people will say that that's probably his number one quality is that he doesn't believe something isn't possible he'll or in other words everything is possible to him and he'll just continue driving until he he reaches that i think like you said the ability to to adjust is huge something that you didn't mention probably is that your team or the people that work for you really appreciate that they they value that type of leadership well and 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 to be quite quite honest they're able to do that too which is which is why they are such a tremendous team um you know and i uh, you know i have to you know tip my hat to them as well because it, it's not easy to be be part of a a smaller company because there are so many things that you have to do and take mm-hmm. on that you may not be an expert in but you got to quickly become one and and uh we've got a great group of folks around us who are able to do that and um you know and and we couldn't do it without them and that, and that's 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 important to say too it's not just Jeremy and I who are are you know motivo it's 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 everyone who works with us who who is making this uh this uh company grow to what it hopefully will become Absolutely. I think if you have a really good team, they could basically amplify your output or you feel like you're just getting so much more out of, you know, what you're producing by being surrounded by other people like you and I think the inverse is true too. They could completely suck the energy out of you if you don't have the right people that that are working on projects with you. So, uh congrats on on being able to do that and attracting, you know, those types of people because it's certainly a, a people want to be with other a people and a a teams and it's really hard to uh, get everybody on board. Yeah. In addition to your team, do you think there was any maybe books or tools that you've used recently that have been helpful for you to kind of help you take that next step somewhere? Goodness, books or tools. <laughs> um what do you guys use for collaboration, for example? we we are constantly meeting and and um you know bouncing ideas off of each other and discussing pros and cons of different decisions and um you know i think i think we we rely on each other and try try to make good decisions um and collaboration i mean it it seems like it's a constant um you know in, in our old office we were we would we would you know be having conversations through the wall sometimes just to try to get to an answer um <laughs> on something and um you know so so we're just we're all working together and even if you know someone is you know primarily in charge of marketing but you know you have a question about you know some something un, completely unrelated you know we we interface with each other all the time on things that maybe aren't you know what our core job responsibilities are but but we know that the input is valuable so um i don't i'm not sure if that really answers your question but uh, that's that's kind of how how at least i see how we work a lot within our within our office is that you know there there aren't there aren't limitations in terms of well you know someone who's doing doing engineering can only do engineering we're all doing all kinds of things and and we rely on each other's input uh, greatly in areas that that are very broad and vast sounds like a really great place to work 
So as, as we wrap up, I always ask people, you know, if you were giving advice to your younger self or somebody else that uh, you're friends with that has, uh, is, is thinking about bringing their own product to market, what kind of advice would you give them or what would you tell them to kind of take that next step forward? Well, I think, I think it's important to have good people, uh, to take this, the leap with, um, and, uh, telling my younger self, um, when you're younger, you kind of have idealized visions of what starting your own company would be like. And the grass always seems greener. Oh, if only I start my, my business, my own business or my own company. But, but it, you know, it, it is very rewarding. And, um, you know, I think I would, I would tell my younger self to do it sooner when I have more energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> I think there is, there is a time and a place. And this, this was the right time for me. Um, and I think for Jeremy as well. So, but yeah, I think, you know, it's just, you, you need to find the right people who, who you can trust uh, and who you can rely on. And, and, you know, I think that those, those are probably, those are the core, you know, things that I feel you need to have to be successful, no matter what type of, of business you're starting or what type of industry you're in, because the, the essential, at the end of the day, that that's kind of the, the foundation or root, roots for, for whatever you're, you're creating or developing. Excellent advice. I really appreciate you, you know, coming on the show and sharing your knowledge with us and being so transparent with everything, Jennifer. Um, can you tell everybody how they can find out more about you and Motivo? Sure, absolutely. Um, you can find out pretty much everything about our company and our and our products at uh, motivolife.com. Um, and that that would be a great place to visit uh, to find out about the tour, which is the the product that we're launching. Perfect. Well, thanks again, Jennifer. I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been my pleasure having you on. Thank you, Philip. It's, it was my pleasure as well. Thank you so much. And that's all I've got for today. Thanks for listening. I put all the links that we've covered onto the show notes posted on theproductstartup.com. So join me next week as I speak with Susanna Stewart and Carol Mania of Fro Butter, a popular line of organic care products that promote optimal hair health, especially for curly textures. Fro Butter is quickly becoming a household name within the natural hair community, and we talk about how Carol and Susanna differentiate Fro Butter from competitors in such a crowded business category. So tune in next week to hear that episode. Thanks again, everyone that wrote in to share your comments about what you think of the show. I really appreciate your support. I read all your comments and questions, and I definitely try to incorporate them into future episodes. I'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast with your host, Philip Felitza. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit theproductstartup.com. Your guide to getting there. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast, the show that teaches you what it really takes to bring your product to market and turn it into a big success. This podcast series is brought to you by Maco Design and Invent, the first firm in North America to provide global caliber end-to-end physical consumer product development to startups, inventors, and small product businesses. If you're looking for product development help on your invention, head over to macodesign.com. That's M-A-K-O design.com for a free consultation from one of Maco Design's four design studios from coast to coast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.